Good afternoon. Welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each week to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, lots going on, as one can imagine, and anyone who's been reading the publications coming out of Israel in the last uh, week or so. Um, there's cause for optimism, there's cause for pessimism. I will start um, perhaps with the optimism. Today, um, there was something that shouldn't be extraordinary, but certainly has been extraordinary, certainly for the last year and a half, if not longer, where the coalition and opposition came together to vote on a law together. Um, obviously, there were some laws that were passed in the last government that the opposition joined with, but they were usually relatively insignificant. Today, a law passed, at least through its first reading, actually got eight different laws, each one uh, by a different uh, MK, but that's normal. Usually then they just get sort of pushed together into one law, which sort of you know takes the different elements from different uh, of the other laws. But there were pretty much, uh, you know, uh, support from coalition and parts of the opposition for a law to remove citizenship from uh, Israelis or those who have uh, permanent um, uh, uh, residency who perform a, an act of terror and then receive money from the PA, what's called pay to slay, pay for slay, where the Palestinian Authority gives money to terrorists uh, who murder Israelis. And depending how many they murder, they get more money and how long they have to serve. So that was an interesting law. And the fact is that uh, at least Israel Beitena from the opposition and uh, I think even one or two others from other members of the opposition or many other members of the opposition abstained or didn't appear and didn't actively vote again. So it shows even at the beginning of this highly divisive uh, Knesset, this government, that uh, there are elements of the opposition that are prepared to work uh, with what they believe in. The last Knesset was very much about it doesn't matter what the issues are, doesn't matter what our ideology is, and that would that goes for both coalition and opposition, we will vote according to coalition lines or opposition lines. And that's basically uh, what happened for uh, that year and a half. So the fact that so early on in this Knesset, uh, and so, you know, only days after the swearing of the government, uh, we see a significant law um, that there was at least some working together between coalition and opposition is certainly, uh, you know, room for optimism. Obviously, that is very much shrouded by a heavy dose of pessimism. There is a lot of talk, there has been a lot of talk in Israel of a move towards civil war. Now, you know, Israeli politics has got to the point where you can pretty much say anything, um, you know, however bad it is, you know, it, it's never as bad as the comments that come out. Democracy is uh, at stake. Democracy, our democracy is in danger. Uh, there's going to be blood on the streets, there's going to be a civil war. We've heard all these things over the last two weeks. None of these things are going to happen. There are, uh, you know, a very strong sense of emotions from both sides. Um, we saw a very large demonstration on Saturday night in Tel Aviv. They say up to 200,000 people took part. 
Um, there's a lot of controversy about that because obviously while the main issue was um, the uh, the justice, the judicial reform, and basically against the government, that it was hijacked by some more far left groups. And interesting enough, uh, the new Israel Fund, which usually stays in the background, even though it's been proven that they do fund these types of things, actually for the first time seemed to actually take credit and uh, came out openly and said that we did fund some of the organizations that were behind the demonstration. So because of that, I think we see some of the big names in the uh, current opposition, formerly in the coalition, like Benny Gantz, like Yair Lapierre, like Victor Liebman, who have said that they will not um, attend the next demonstration, I believe, which is for this Saturday night in the same place. Um, uh, we'll see if it grows. We'll see uh, if, you know, what sort of level of consistency there will be. Um, uh, new national security minister Itamar Benkvir was asked about uh, the demonstrations and he, and he said that uh, absolutely there's a right to demonstrate but there's not a right to shut down roads. Uh, we see in recent years lots of demonstrators whether it's from the ultra-orthodox uh, population even the disabled um, groups working for on behalf of disabled rights and all sorts of groups have taken to try and close roads especially the main artery through Tel Aviv, the Ayalon Road, um, which has been shut uh, sometimes because of demonstrators. So uh, Itamar ben has given instructions to the police to make sure that doesn't happen. Another um, demand he made of the police, which actually uh, will not be listened to, is that, uh, uh, that there should be no Palestinian flags uh, being waved at the event. The police said that we have no legal right to stop anyone waving a, a Palestinian flag, and it's certainly not um, you know, to the point of incitement, which is what Ben Gvir uh, suggested. So it'll be very interesting to see now that the police have been given at least some stronger instructions from their new boss, whether they will or they will not um, follow through on it. What's really taken a lot of attention this week is the uh, reform, the judicial reform has been taken up a level. Now, um, some of the details are really being worked out and they're moving towards a first level, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, uh, going through the legislature, et cetera, et cetera. So many of the details are not so different from what we've heard. There will be a majority of politicians or, or people that the politicians place to decide who will be on the Supreme Court. There will be override. Um, they will certainly lessen the um, reasonability, which we've spoken about, the clause of uh, reasonability uh, and other such things. Now, We've heard a lot of arguments um, uh, from the left and from the right. Uh, the question is exactly why now and what can be done about it? So there have been some suggestions that why now? You know, there's, there's a few things. A lot of people are pointing to uh, Netanyahu's three cases, which are ongoing. Some others point to Arya Derry, whose case to whether he can serve as a minister, even though he was he took a plea bargain um, uh, on a criminal offence, whether he can serve actually in two ministries, because that's what he's been, uh, uh, you know, that's what he, he was voted in uh, as health minister and interior minister. But probably the most uh, telling part is the fact that they're trying to do it now to try and get it out of the way as soon as possible, because it is something which, uh, for those proponents of judicial reform, is very, very important. There is an idea that Netanyahu didn't really want to go as far as Yeriv Levine has gone and some of the other proponents of judicial reform. And what was very interesting is there was a recent poll 
which asked um, questions about the judicial reform. And they kind of, you know, came uh, down according to party lines. Obviously, those opposed were, were generally Yeshatid voters and others in the uh, opposition and those uh, in favor from the ultra-Orthodox parties and from the religious Zionist parties or the parties that made up the religious Zionist uh, list. But the most interesting and the one where it was pretty much evenly split was the Likud itself. I think there was a slight majority of 47% were in favor of judicial reform and 42% uh, were against it, which means that Likud is the most divided on the issue of judicial reform. And if you look at Likud, while it is seen as a right-wing party and is characterized, et cetera, et cetera, there are many different elements within the Likud, or there are many different reasons why people vote Likud. There are those uh, who just voted because of the cult of personality of uh, Netanyahu, which some, some claim, uh, other reasons, but it always was throughout its history a quote-unquote liberal uh, right-wing party or a liberal party, uh, one of the um, original uh, parties which made up the Likud in 1977 for those elections was the Liberal Party of Ariel Sharon back in the day. So it has that uh, very much uh, uh, coursing through its veins. And there are a lot of people who are maybe a little bit uncomfortable about some of the elements of judicial reform. I think you'd be hard pressed to find too many Likud voters who didn't think there should be some judicial reform. But there are certainly uh, a, a significant amount who believes that some of the clauses are going too far. So what the, the claim is that Yeriv Levine, who's definitely a proponent of a maximalist approach, as we've seen, uh, wants to get this over and done with before perhaps Netanyahu gets cold feet, perhaps there's too many problems in the coalition, perhaps, you know, if you put it a year or two down the line, and we get closer to elections, maybe he feels that he would lose some of his support if he supported such uh, drastic or, you know, what some would call draconian uh, measures uh, to the justice system. So to do it now uh, means that you get that over and done with um, before there's really a reason uh, to stop it. Uh, but there certainly is a certain amount of disquiet within the could not just within the rank and file supporters, but even within some of the MKs. Now, the question is that everybody's asking in the media when they're asking the opposition is, why don't you sit down and negotiate? And perhaps they'll give a little, you'll give a little. Yale appeared uh, opposition leader formally only two weeks ago or less or whenever it was. Uh, Prime Minister basically said, you know, he, he basically said, you know, this is a gun to our head. And these are people who are criminals or, or indicted and you don't negotiate with people who are doing it for the wrong reasons. If there was a, a real conversation to be had, then perhaps it could be different. So it seems he's taking also a maximalist approach. And at this point in time, at least, uh, he is, has shown absolutely no interest in negotiating, even coming up with his own reforms, because I think there, even in the center center left, there is an understanding that's, that there needs to be some reforms. The interesting character in all this is Benny Gantz. We've talked about Benny Gantz quite a lot, and there is, I spoke to some uh, some uh, people in the Knesset even today who said to me there is still that belief that Benny Gantz will come in eventually. Benny Gantz is one of the few figures who, while slamming the proposals by Levine, has said that he would be happy to take part in some sort of debate on it, um, to discuss the proposals. So he's taken a far more moderate uh, position on this perhaps because at some point he needs to find his way in. So he needs to you know, not come down on the maximalist 
or antagonistic attitude towards the judicial reform. Uh, but it's clear that, again, politics are very much uh, you know, being played out uh, uh, at this point. While this is all taking place, uh, you know, we've spoken a lot uh, about uh, general politics and Israeli politics uh, in particular, and even someone who's really a master of it is uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, is the deflect and distraction tactic. So tonight, he and Finance Minister uh, Basala Smotrich followed through on some of their campaign promises on the cost of living, which really well beyond the, the judicial reform is really the issue which the average Israeli cares about more than anything else, which is true pretty much of citizens around the world because of global, uh, because of inflation, because of uh, you know, global events. Israel, like many other countries, is seeing rocket, uh, you know, uh, skyrocketing prices, et cetera, et cetera. So tonight a plan was revealed by the prime minister, finance minister, to, um, to try and have an effect on that. One of the things was to freeze uh, municipal taxes, Another was to lessen the rise, the expected rise in water, electricity and gas prices. And there's some other things uh, in there. Some of the things which were not in there, which were promised are, for example, free uh, education from zero to three um, for working families. That wasn't in there. There wasn't any of the more drastic promises that really were at the center of especially the Likud campaign. We didn't hear anything from it. Doesn't mean we won't hear from uh, anything of it. but. The numbers have been crunched by the economists and they say it's really a pipe dream uh, financially so it's, it's no surprise it was in there so the conversation you know the, the the government is trying to take the conversation back towards the cost of living to try and show that it's not all about uh judicial reform because the questions that are being asked by many is of all the issues you know that are on the table is judicial reform the most urgent well, that goes back to the previous conversation. For some, it is the most urgent because uh, Yev Levine, Simcha Rotman, who we had earlier on in the week, briefly, um, for them, it is at the base of everything that happens in Israel. And unless there's judicial reform, they believe that they will not be able to get their agenda uh, moving as soon as possible. Uh, so the, the fact that they, they did it really, really early on in the life of this government shouldn't be a surprise because uh, some of the other issues are going to push it aside uh, as we move uh, further into this government. So with that, I'm happy to answer any questions on any of the issues I've spoken about or anything else. All right, thank you so much. Uh, the first one is from Carrie Hillebrand asking, did the presence of radical parties in the coalition impact on last week's Negev Forum? Uh, what do you make of Jordan's ongoing declining to participate? Um, well, it didn't really have, um, this was organized a long time before. The Negev Forum obviously was was formulated under the Lapid uh, government. Um, and this date had been sort of set in stone even for some months. Um, so a lot of the working groups and the meetings didn't really discuss domestic politics. Um, I'm sure some of the higher level meetings that are, being, are taking place and some of the phone calls that are taking place will mention, especially, you know, in the Arab world, the, the status of Jerusalem and the holy sites and the so-called status quo on the Temple Mount. These are issues which are being brought up again and again. But this was really um, a meeting of director generals of ministers. It was very much professional staff rather than the political staff. And they were discussing things like tolerance and energy, uh, cooperation, even defense and things like that. So uh, domestic politics uh, does not come up. Jordan's 
absence is not too much of a surprise at this point. Uh, they don't want to be seen too much um, in this uh, negative form, in this circle. Um, there was a lot of talk about them, and there was a message that really, you know, they want the Jordanians in. The Jordanians would prefer to come in with the Palestinians. There are no particular official uh, problems with that, but obviously the Palestinians aren't going to come. They're against they were against the Abraham Accords from the beginning, and they felt that a lot of this focus, whether it's the Abraham Accords and negative form, is a distraction from uh, you know, uh, the Palestinian issue. So they're not going to come at this point, which means that it's harder for Jordan uh, to come. But who knows, maybe the next meeting, I believe, will be in Morocco in the coming months. Uh, perhaps by then uh, there'll be some movement. Thank you so much. Larry White asks, does Netanyahu's appeal still stem from his brother's heroism in the Entebbe raid? No, uh, not, not now. Uh, one could certainly make the argument, and many have, that that was his in uh, in Israeli politics. And certainly he doesn't spare any opportunity to mention uh, his brother Yoni and his heroism in the Entebbe uh, mission. Um, but by now, Benjamin Netanyahu is a far bigger um, personality figure, uh, you know, than his, than his brother. It helps him, and as I said, he brings it up uh, regularly, especially when appropriate. Um, but by now, there's no one who votes for or supports uh, Netanyahu because of uh, because of Yoni Netanyahu. Understood. Thank you. Riven Hawkes, Gideon Sar, and uh, Ayelet Shaked, as justice ministers, also tried to enact some type of judicial reform. Uh, do you know what their enactments were? Well, in the end, it didn't really happen because um, because of pressures. Uh, simply, they didn't have um, the support. Um, this is very much a right wing issue. Although both of those, uh, both of those. You know, people that you mentioned are on the right of the political spectrum, um, and they are supportive. As I said, there are quite a few people in the opposition. Ayla Shaked is no no longer in the Knesset at all, but Gidon Saar certainly is. But there, you know, there there is a lot of people who do believe in the opposition that there should be some level of reform. There's very few people who believe it should be left exactly as it is because there are problems. With the current system and everyone sees the problems with the current system usually people have stayed away from it because there is this feeling if you touch it a little bit then that just you know where where's it where's it going to stop so many people have come into the justice ministry including those two uh who have talked about some level of reform uh, but really haven't enacted anything uh specific or certainly as uh as 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 large uh, a reform uh, infrastructure that Levine is talking about and perhaps that's why he's coming in really really heavy-handed maybe because he understands that he may not be able to get everything he wants and don't forget there is a process here it will go through the Knesset there will be votes there will it will have to go back to the committee I mean the committee the relevant committee the law and justice uh, committee is run by probably the biggest proponent which is Simcha Rotman um, of the judicial reform. So I don't think they'll have too many problems going through there, but there will be a debate. Uh, and it could be that maybe not everything which is in the initial uh, reading of the first draft of this law will, will make it into law uh, in the end. Um, there are people trying to negotiate behind the scenes, 
so far, the people who come out publicly against it are using mostly superlatives. You know, this is going to end democracy. This is going to be uh, the tyranny of the majority. This is going to lead to civil war. This is going to lead no checks and balances. All these sort of extreme words, which I get from a public relations point of view. But uh, behind the scenes, it's a lot more moderate, trying to see if they can uh, maybe, for example, basic laws, uh, the override clause, maybe instead of 61, which is a basic majority, which every government will have, maybe make it greater. But then you have a problem. Where do you draw the line? People are saying, well, if you have 70, because most governments, certainly not in a while, uh, have had a 70 majority. And if you have, if you call for a 70 majority, that means that this government will not be able to do that because it only has a majority of 64. So it's unlikely that this particular government will agree to such a thing. And also don't forget the opposition knows if it ever wants to go get into government and it wants to pass basic laws and it wants to override uh, certain laws. It, you know, no politician really is going to vote against uh, limiting itself. Um, so there, there are all these factors to be taken into account. We'll see how much wiggle room there is, if anyone's really going to come to the table with a serious counter offer to the reform, which perhaps is the best way of trying to at least get something in there uh, to bring it from a Levine's maximalist position back towards some of those voices, which are not against any reform, but would like to see a lesser reform than uh, Justice Minister Levine is talking about at the moment. Understood. Uh, Len Levin asked uh, if you happen to have read the Washington Street Journal's article by Johanna Flesner today, and if so, uh, do you have any reaction to the proposed changes to the powers of the Supreme Court that he mentioned? I, I actually didn't because I don't have a. I actually opened it, uh, but as I don't have a subscription to the Wall Street Journal, I just caught the headline in the opening paragraph. So it did seem like it was a. You know, Yochanan Plesner is the head of the Israel Democracy Institute, which, you know, does try and come up with sensible, constructive, uh, you know, objections or not even objections, su suggestions to things. So I don't know what was in the article itself, but it did seem like it was an attempt to try. And as I said, what I was trying to get at literally uh, in the, with the last question is that I think the more sensible voices who are saying, OK, everybody or not everybody, uh, the majority does see the need for some sort of reform. So let's come up with something which leaves some checks and balances and gives the judicial system some say uh, over what's going to happen and not go too far over to giving you know far, far greater control to the politicians. So I can't comment on what was in it, but you know, usually he comes up with uh, very constructive uh, suggestions. Thank you so much. Um, so just just out of going going back to your first point, out of curiosity, is this a breath of fresh air for the Israeli people uh, with the coalition and the opposition agreeing uh, for this law? I remember last year we were talking about um, something that should have been easily passed that that wasn't. Right. I actually I think what you're referring to are the takanot. How do you say that? The the sort of laws which govern um, the legal status of Israelis who live over the Green Line. As we know, Israelis, uh, Israelis who live in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, uh, live outside a sovereign state of Israel. So there has to be certain laws which were enacted for many decades, every 
I think it's five years, I think it was, or six months, I, I can't remember what it is, but it, basically it passed with an overwhelming majority every time, but this was used as a bit of a political stick between the two, because ironically, the right-wing party didn't want to support it at the time, and that's one of the reasons that we went to elections, because it was felt that that was put endangering the legal status, and could have, in theory at least, this was one of the cries, that uh, it would have let security prisoners out of jails, Palestinian security prisoners, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, something like that, where the right wing wouldn't refuse to vote for it, uh, shows really that was the most blatant example of how parties or groups of parties were voting against their ideology just to try and win the wider political war. Um, the vote this morning, I think, does show that there is an understanding that that really should be in the past. I mean, again, from this particular point of view, you can argue that it was the opposition because obviously the coalition is going to vote for something like this. But the fact that there were members of the opposition that didn't reflexively just vote against it, even though, for example, someone like Victor Liebman is very much hawkish on these issues, uh, more hawkish, arguably, than Netanyahu himself and certain other members than they could. So it would be voting against his ideology. Um, so the fact that someone like Victor Liebman instructed his members of, uh, to not only write a similar law, but support the other laws, shows that you know there won't be that attitude of just voting against just because it's the other side of the aisle. Um, it bodes well, hopefully for the future, that there are parties of the opposition who will, will vote according to the merits of the law rather than just a political situation. Perhaps it's an understanding that because this government has a 64 majority of parties which are quite content to sit with each other, even though there is sniping amongst the parties and there's certainly disagreements that this coalition isn't going anywhere. So, you know, try and at least, uh, you know, it, it, there's no real sense in trying to bring down the government at this point because it simply will not fall. Uh, so perhaps it's just, uh, you know, to a certain extent that that's what's been taken into account. But Again, I prefer to be an optimist and I prefer to um, look at the glass half full and perhaps this is uh, you know, a, a sign of things to come. Uh, the, the opposition is working together. There was, again, that photo of Yale Lapier, the leader of opposition with the major uh, leaders of the opposition, except for Ayman Uda of the United Arab List. You had, um, you had obviously Gantz, you had Lapid, you had Michaeli, you had Liebman um, and Abbas. Uh, so there is an attempt to try and show some unity amongst the, um, the opposition, but it's clear that when you have such a wide uh, variety of ideologies, they worked quite well together in government, but in opposition, it seems that they're going to be allowed, or they're going to allow themselves, uh, wiggle room to vote on certain laws, even against uh, the sort of the whip, as it were. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Robert Larrick asks, uh, in that Jordan has represented the Palestinians in the past, uh, could they be a part of a new, more regional peace plan with Israel? Jordan? Um, I mean, the last time the Jordanians represented the Palestinians was in 1991 at the Madrid Peace Conference. Uh, and ever since then, the Palestinians have pretty much represented themselves. They're seen as an, they're seen as an independent player on the international scene. So I, I don't see um, a reversal to those days. Um, Jordan, don't, let's not forget the vast majority of Jordanian citizens 
are Palestinians, and the Jordanian king is certainly cognizant of that, and there's a lot of pressure, and he has his parliament, which is a lot more hawkish than he is, so he has to sort of, you know, um, tread on that, you know, that that uh, that tightrope very, very carefully. Um, and while the Negev Forum is very nice and there's some very meaningful things going on, uh, you know, Jordan have their in whenever they want it. But certainly, at the moment, they're looking at this and thinking, you know, it, it wouldn't look so good if we go to this regional uh, event without the Palestinians, without talk of the Palestinians, without talk of a Palestinian-Israeli uh, peace process with what they would describe as the mo most right-wing Israeli government in history? Do they want to be seen as giving a reward to that? So all these factors are in place. So it's not a big shock that Jordan are not represented. And the idea that they will come to a future event representing themselves and the Palestinians, I think is just pushing us back over three decades, which simply will not happen at this point. Understood. Thank you so much. And with that, we have come to the close of our webinar and podcast. So Ashley, thank you so much for taking time to update us this week. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern with Jonathan Shanzer discussing the Abraham Accords and Jordan's unsustainable position. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.